the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. What is going on on Capitol Hill? What's the real goal of the Democrat Party? Is this just an impeachment like another impeachment? Oh, you know it isn't. We have audio from Jerry Nadler, where he let it creep out the real goal. This is from a congressman, just one of hundreds of congressmen, not even a senator, telling us why the impeachment of Donald Trump must happen and must happen now. Cut nine. The facts are the facts. The president is a danger to the United States. He's tried to rig the next election. He's abused his power. And he must be brought to heel, and the country must be saved from his continuing efforts to rig our elections. The president must be brought to heel. The nation must be saved. I guess the nation must be saved from the lowest unemployment from 1969 and the addition of $13 trillion to the economy. I guess we have to save America from that. Somebody who can help explain what is the logic of the political elite today is perhaps one of the greatest writers we have today, a classicist in his own right, senior fellow with the Hoover Institution. You've seen him almost every night on television. He is Professor Victor Davis Hanson. Professor, welcome to America First. Thank you for having me, Sebastian. Um, You've written a a piece at the, the fabulous website, American greatness called Target Trump Forever. And having read it, it it raised in me a very simple question. I I see the president's defense team doing sterling work this week. We have fabulous uh, emeritus scholars such as Alan Dershowitz. We have former uh, special counsels like Kenneth Starr who are given very solid lectures, lectures I would have enjoyed in graduate school, very professorial, very fact-based, the history of impeachment. And then I thought to myself, Why is there anything that the president's defense team could say that would change the minds of those who wish to remove the duly elected president from the White House? Uh, Only to the effect that there's four or five senators, as there is maybe 30 or 40 House members who are you know, they have to be aware of political realities, and they're in either states or congressional districts that Trump won or came pretty close. I'm in a congressional district like that myself, that a Republican lost and a Democrat won, but the Republican is running again. He's way ahead in the polls. So I, I think that's the only thing. It's not about actual crimes. It's for a variety of simple and complex reasons the Democrats can't— um, can't wait until November because I think they agree they're going to probably lose the election. And for that, 
would mean eight years of the progressive project being pretty much junked for a generation. And they just, that's just unpalatable. And so we go to all of these cycle dramas, you know, Mullinetz Clause, 25th Amendment, Michael Cohen, Michael Avenetti, tax returns, impeachment, Mueller, and it just never ends. And it won't end because the, what's the alternative, Sebastian? I guess it's uh, Bernie Sanders on the stump or the New Green Deal or reparations or abolish ICE or another speech by AOC and Omar. They don't have much, and they know it. And uh, the impeachment was a catastrophic miscalculation. They thought that it would stain Trump, and they rushed it through without thinking through it. They rigged it. And then when they got to the Senate, they thought, wow, Mitch McConnell wouldn't dare do what we did <laughs> in the House. He's got to be bipartisan, and he's got to do whatever we want. And he didn't. And they look kind of ridiculous now. They're just giving these throw-out-the-kitchen-sink speeches. You know, if they're back to collusion and and they're back to quid pro quo and treason and bribery. I thought it was supposed to be abuse of power right. obstructing Congress, but that didn't go anywhere. And they made a really tra- tragic mistake in uh, betting everything on Adam Schiff because the more you hear him, the less you like him. And he's a, he is an inveterate. He can't tell the truth, and he's been caught so many times now. And, and I don't think they want—I really don't think they want witnesses. I think they want it to end on Friday and then say it's rigged and we didn't get a chance to call witnesses. But deep down inside, I don't think Adam Schiff wants to go up there under oath and then have the whistleblower and then all give their versions of how this thing started because they're not compatible. We're talking to Professor Victor Davis Hanson of the Hoover Institution, author of The Case for Trump. You need to read this book. Um, you you built your career as a historian, a historian of, of, of military history, of, of the uh, ancient civilizations, of, of the Greeks. Uh, th- this is the bedrock of Western civilization. And let me ask you a very simple question that is my concern. There is this theory of, of social contract, that there, there are written and unwritten ways of doing business, and, and, and Western civilization is, is built upon them. If one of the two parties in a system, not a fringe party, not the Libertarian Party, not, not Ross Perot, but one of the two parties says that we will impeach a president because we can't win at the ballot box, isn't that a shredding of the social contract or even the original compact on which the republic was founded? What, what does this do on the long term for the United States, Professor Hansen? Well, I think if, if you read uh, Federal 65 and 66, what Hamilton said, and then other essays at, written at the time about impeachment, they thought it would be very rare and very hard to do. That's why you needed a two-thirds Senate. Yes. You had to have it in the House, et cetera, et cetera. And they didn't think it was to be the opposite. They didn't envision it. As soon as the opposition party took control of the House, it would be a European parliamentary vote of no right. confidence. They didn't right. want that. And that's what it's become. And there's a lot of Republicans who believe that the therapeutic approach doesn't work for Democrats. So I imagine that the next time we have a Democratic president, and uh, they're angry. They're going to consider doing this because it's now going to be 
sort of the modus operandi of impeachment as we know it doesn't exist anymore. No. It, it's been transmogrified into this, whatever this thing is. But that's um, I, I, just the way it is. And, and remember, we had no special counsel report. We had no bipartisan support. We had no public support. We, this is the first time we've ever impeached since the 19th century a, a first-term president in lieu of a re-election. And it was just odd. And we had it in the basement. We had it not in the House Judiciary, but in the House Intelligence Committee to sort of selectively leak things by Adam Schiff. So it was just a, it was just patently dishonest and asymmetrical. And, and I think they're going to pay a price for it. I think Trump is on his way to a 70, 1972 or 1984 re-election. Well, that's exactly the next question I wanted to ask you, Professor. If if nothing else exogenous happens, if there's no massive external crisis, if the economy st- keeps going the way it's going, and, and the president is re-elected in 277 days, what do you expect the effect to be, the knock-on effect on these people? Will, will there suddenly be a, a Damascene moment where they say, okay, we got it wrong, we're sorry, the media, the left, and we'll behave ourselves? Or could it get worse? And, and really, how could it get worse? Well, we, as a historian, we just have to ask, what did they do after 72 when they got their wish and got McGovern? Mm-hmm. They said, you know, we broke the compact. We never, we haven't won since JFK unless we got a, a Democratic guy with a Southern accent, whether it's LBJ or, or sorry, went to Jimmy Carter. Right. And he was kind of a centrist. In the 84, the left said, oh, my gosh, we screwed up, and then they did it again with Dukakis, and then they, they didn't do it again. They got a guy with a Southern accent. Mm-hmm. And so I think there'll be a lot of people who say the AOC wing screwed up, and we want to resurrect the Blue Dogs. But I don't, I, I'm not sure the demography and the changing 21st century landscape allows that to happen. Uh, this Democratic Party is sort of the Jacobin Party, French Revolutionary Party. And I don't know if they, they've kind of extinguished or liquidated all of the people like, you know, Senator Webb and all of those old dinosaurs. They don't really exist anymore. And the people that did, uh, like might exist, like Bloomberg, I guess, and Biden have been screwing to the exits. I mean, they've just been renouncing their, their prior selves and positions. So I, I don't know if there's anybody left to rebuild the party. I guess, you know, I guess a younger generation is going to have to come in and say, you guys destroyed uh, the Democratic Party. It depends a lot on whether the Republicans take the House, of course. Right. I think they have a 50 50 chance of doing that. Can, can it? And as well. Professor Hansen, um, one of the most important questions for me is I guess I'm a swamp dweller too. I've worked in government and I'm still in D.C. Is the, the long term effect of the Trump presidency on this city and the quote unquote elite? Has the Trump presidency, has America elected, electing for the first time ever a non-politician, a non-former general, has it, has it broken the stranglehold of the elite? Or do you expect after the end of a one or two term Trump presidency, the swamp to just snap back like a rubber band? Well, I think it'll try to. But what's been interesting about Trump is that, you know, when Obama said you'd have to met, he doesn't have a magic wand, he can't bring his jobs back, Larry Summers, Paul Krugman, and then on foreign policy, you know, all of these uh, experts 
Elliot Cohen lectured us on all you know, yes. those of books, and it was it was just nonstop. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're looking at this foreign policy, and it's much more successful than the Iran deal or the North prior North Korean policies or or policies toward China or the EU. And you think, wow, what were all those PhDs? And JDs, what were they all for? What was the Harvard degree and the Yale billet and the Princeton professorship? What, what did it do for us? And then when you see these people outrage, and you really see it in a – we're in a kind of a culture war. You have this Harvard law graduate Schiff, and then you have this farmer Cal Poly graduate, Nunes. And Nunes turns yes. out when he ran the committee, he was truthful, and he was – uh, his report was substantiated by Horowitz, and Schiff was shown to be basically a liar by Horowitz. And that's true of the president's legal team. When we had Dowd and those guys, they all made fun of them. They said they didn't know how to spell and everything. And then, boy, they really handled the all-stars green team of uh, newer. I, I got the same impression when I saw Jay Sekulow and Bondi and Dershowitz, and everybody said, well, these are just Fox guests. Well, maybe they were, but they knew how to handle themselves on television and in public, and they were much, much more uh, successful in the droid than the house managers were. Can, can I so can I, I stop can I stop you there yeah. because because a there's the factual question. There's you know we're talking about individuals who are lambasted for being morons and idiots who've actually won you know nine cases in front of the Supreme Court. That these are the people who who they want us to to believe uh, are idiots. But your prior point about Devin Nunes, the farmer, vice the the elitist San Francisco, you know, Los Angeles politicians, former prosecutors. Today, to this very day, if you look at social media, if you look at Wikipedia, Devin Nunes is attacked as a rube because he's a farmer. You live on a farm, Victor, da- Victor Davis Hanson. We've been told just this weekend that... The, the Trump demographic are the idiot rubes. Is this potentially the stake in the heart of the elite that they are now finally so openly dismissive of the people who build America? Yeah, I think it is. And I think if Trump were to carry 20 percent of the black vote and 40 percent of the Latino vote, I think that's possible. Then I think it's even going to claw cross identity politics lines because I just I'm in the aftermath of a long conversation with a Hispanic uh, law enforcement officer who came out this morning I talked to him and I mean, I, his hero is Rush Limbaugh and uh, we were talking, Hispanic a Hispanic a Hispanic law enforcement yeah. officer doesn't hate Rush Limbaugh no he loves him and he and there's thousands of people like him and what's going on I think is we're recalibrating a lot of the traditional identity politics fault lines that the left has established in terms more of social awareness, class, cultural ethos. It's it's a little different. They don't like these whiny pajama boy, life of Julia, in belt white, beltway insiders, Elizabeth Warren lecturing everybody. That just turns people off. What no matter what your ethnic background is, and that, that's what they can't. That's why they have to reduce Trump to a racist because he's the first Republican that has the potential not just to get the white working class and 40 percent of those rallies are independents and Democrats right. that he has, but he has he can get a sizable 
group of minority voters, and that would be absolutely lethal. Now, and when you look at that state, that campaign stage, the bait stage, I should say, of the Democratic candidate, it's it's enfeebled. It's just there's, there's nothing there. There's no there there. If and, uh, I think voters know it. If if the political identity, the stratification of the nation is being recalibrated, let me ask uh, Professor Hansen. Do we conservatives have to recalibrate our approach to how we do politics? Is it is it too extreme to say that the days of the Marquis of Queensbury rules are over because the left doesn't obey by any rules of decorum? Or should we maintain our attitude that the, the protocol still must be respected? Yeah. Well, I don't think we want to be gratuitously mean, but Trump is reactive. He usually doesn't start these fights. Right. He's a don't-tread-on-me uh, reactive guy. Even his worst, so supposedly worst Twitter remarks were usually in retaliation to people who hit him. So he, he believes in deterrence, and I think he's saying that when you are magnanimous, unfortunately, they interpret that as weakness to be exploited, rather as kindness to be reciprocated. And that's just the way it is now. And they have to, the only thing they aren't, they don't understand is defeat. And I was a little bit annoyed by people on our side, the conservative side, that said, well, Trump should admit that he did something wrong in a call and then say that wasn't impeachable. No, he shouldn't. That would show weakness. And that call that he had with the Ukrainian president could be Xerox a thousand times yes. with calls that uh, Obama or the Bushes or Clinton had all the time not to mention the quid pro quo, hot mic of Obama. So he shouldn't do that. There was nothing wrong with the call at all. And yet we have, still have people on our side. Let's concede that Trump uh, was unethical, and then we'll make the other argument uh, that it's not impeachable. No, all you'll do is tell the left, we agree with you, and they'll get emboldened. Now, how these people... They have, to be, they have to be defeated. They can't be... I don't think you can compromise with them. Right. The the idea that suddenly everything will change, uh, that, that they will suddenly treat the other side with respect and not try every single trick in the book to remove them and to uh, delete and uh, nullify elections hither and yon is absolutely only something a, a naive individual could uh, believe in. Professor, if I may indulge your strategic knowledge, we haven't discussed, we haven't spoken since it occurred. The um, pinpoint surgical strike against uh, Major General Qasem Soleimani wasn't met with the kind of... Um, bipartisan response, positive response, that the uh, assault against Osama bin Laden was when Barack Obama was president. Can national security really have become such a partisan issue in the age of Donald Trump? Well, I, I think they want it to be, the Democrats, but actually... He what Trump is doing is is being appreciated abroad, and I think they, they're a day late and a dollar short and appreciating that. On Iran now, after the dust settled, people are saying, wow, what is Iran going to do? They're completely isolated. They have negative 12% economic growth. They have nearly 20% unemployment, 20% inflation. Their economy's wrecked. Donald Trump's got all the cards. If they want to hit back to a terrorist appendage or kill another American, he'll, he'll take, knowing Trump, he'll take out a you know a power plant or he'll take out an air base or who knows what he'll do. And they know that. And I think 
the Arab world and the, most of the people in the Middle East are laughing at the Iranians. But, Professor, we're told day in, day out, we're told by the make so-called mainstream media that the world is laughing at Donald Trump um, and, and the world at the same time is a more dangerous place because of President Trump. How can there be such a disconnect between the strategic it, truth and the... Want, I think what they want and what the world is are, <laughs> are literally apparent is antithetical. I mean, who doesn't like Trump in the world is ostracized. China, Iran, North Korea, pretty much uh, the Palestinians, they're completely irrelevant now. And the whole, whole texture of the Middle East has changed. The Arab countries want a deal with the Palestinians, and they'll tell the Palestinians, you take what Israel offered or we're through with you. And our existential threat is Iran, and Donald Trump is trying to address that. Even the Europeans are saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't trade with them anymore. Maybe we should have sanctions. They're really, a, they're really a lot worse than we thought, or they're a lot weaker than we thought, or they don't have as much money we thought as we thought. Same thing with China. You don't hear people on the left even saying, well, we have to engage in China because it's right. going to democratize. Now they're saying, suddenly the left came out of the woodwork and saying, wow, there's a million people in the education camps in China. Maybe Trump was right to confront them. Yeah. And I don't, so I think he's he's kind of, he, what he does is like that Apple commercial, the 1984 commercial where the woman throws that hammer into the Apple screen and everybody is in the Orwellian theater and they just say, wow, that image is over with. Or Toto the dog grabbing that curtain in the Wizard of Oz <laughs> and all of a sudden you see that Oz is nothing. And that's what Trump has done. He's shattered all of this consensus. On that, on that, but he said he can't do that. And he did it. On that theme, we have 30 seconds left. Our next guest, before he goes to bed in the UK and celebrates what happens tomorrow, is Nigel Farage. I must ask you, um, what do you think of tomorrow's Brexit? Is it a good thing for the world or for U.S.-American relations? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, it's a bad thing for the EU because they will not be able to piggyback on British talent, military force, and British's, uh, Britain's sort of special relationship with the United States. But for us and for the British, it's wonderful. It started with Brexit. It went on to the Trump phenomenon and then on to India, Australia, you name it. It is the reassertion. I don't even like the word populism. It is the reassertion of representative government. And the man who understands that more than most, the author of The Case for Trump, is Professor Victor Davis Hanson. Read his fabulous writings at amgreatness.com, American Greatness, and also his latest book, The Case for Trump. Thank you, Professor Hanson. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Hugh Hewitt for townhall.com. With the impeachment pageant largely behind us, get ready for the flood of what-did-we-learn essays. But there are no lessons here other than the abuse of power by members of a partisan majority in the House to raise profiles and profits for themselves. This chapter leaves a constitutional scar. This behavior is not what impeachment was intended for. President Trump's phone call did not include any offense, much less an impeachable one. We won't know for 50 years what impeachment does to Trump's place in history. My guess? 
Not much, given his outsized personality and growing list of achievements, including rebuilding of the U.S. military, appointments of so far to Supreme Court justices and a growing list of appeals court and district court judges, a massive tax cut, a very strong economy, 3.5% unemployment, and I could go on. All that remains of impeachments are the ashes of the left's hopes and a scar on the Constitution. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.